This is Death by DVD. I am your host, Alexander Nash, and with me as always is my co-host, it's Moon Pie. I thought you were going to be Moon Pie. You're Moon Pie. Look uh, at that jaw. I am slightly brain damaged also. You have to be Jonathan E. That puts a lot of weight on you. Or are you going to be one of those corporate cocksuckers? No, I, I'm Jonathan E., which means I'm just going to kind of lackadaisically like you know stare forward during most of this and just kind of be cool whisper a little bit i didn't want to say cocksucker so early into the episode but here we are saying it twice welcome to death by (laughs) dvd this episode is the wrath of Khan. it's all about rollerball it's all about one con film we're not going to do a full wrath of Khan. maybe this can be a series hank now, this could be Maybe. the beginning of a con appreciation segment where we uh, just appreciate James Con because he should be appreciated. He went from rodeo to rodeo. But I'm <laughs> super clever. Yeah, I thought about that for a while. All right, so uh, you want to just get into Rollerball from 1975, Norman Jewison? Yeah, and one of the reasons we picked this movie. Um, it's just something I think in the long run, because obviously we'll end up getting somewhat political. It's just uh, something you should focus on and think about, that it's not just some willy-nilly pick for sheer entertainment, but there is some relevance to what's going on right now in the world that is, I, I think, very, very obvious. But again, it's something like RoboCop. Yeah, it's about a, a robotic cop, but there are some other things involved. Like a guy named Moonpie. No, there wasn't any Moon Pie, but there was a Clarence Boddicker, and I guess that could be the Moon Pie of RoboCop. Moon Pie, I guess we'll do a, a quick character study. He's he's ruggedly handsome. He's got um, beautiful sandy hair, a, a jaw of a giant, and he is a excellent friend. But he doesn't watch his back, and he keeps his guard down, and that in the long run is a sucker's move. He's a fool. If you can't tell, um, I took one thing away from this movie, and I've taken that with me for... Christ almighty, over 20 years, 30 years, I don't know, 25 years. That's the one thing I continue to remember about this movie is there's a character named Moon Pie. For no reason. There's no explanation. For no reason. Everybody else pretty much has a normal name, but it, not Moon Pie. So where do we begin with uh, the triumphant nature that is Rollerball? Well, we probably need to have a brief discussion of the plot since not a lot of people have seen this and not a lot of people have seen the terrible remake that we won't be talking about. I'm sure Hank will bring it up 
at times. I'm not going to talk about it because yeah. I saw it once in 2002, and I don't give a fuck about that piece of shit. It's terrible. And there are maybe, and I say that maybe, some comparisons I can bring up. I, I did go ahead and watch it because I didn't have anything else to do. Because it's quarantine, you know? You're supposed to be staying the fuck at home and away from other people. So this is when you go back and watch shit shows from the early 2000s that are freely available on multiple streaming services. Hint, hint. So I watched the uh, the Rollerball remake, but it, there's just not a lot of comparison and most of the message and what... um what The important thing about Rollerball is completely missed. They do have rollers and they do have balls and whatever well it's a whole different story because they focused on the action aspect of it more than anything and like the almost x games-esque concepts you could take it but in reality the game of rollerball in the original film is pretty much just like souped up roller derby for the most part it's a little different but like there's a simplicity to it there's a beauty to it because it feels like an actual sport and then the remake, it seems a lot more about like fucking action scenes and flips and how much shit we can blow up and and rollerball playable like the real rollerball you could actually uh, play if you had the motorcycles and enough people to to do it with. But there are rules and regulations that were thought out that weren't just for the movie because they couldn't the the amount of stunts that were involved with this, which we'll get into later. There was no way you could just go at it all willy nilly. You had to actually play the game. So to to do so, you had to come up with rules and regulations. In the 2002 remake, it's just nonsense. It's like that Vin Diesel movie or Ice Cube movie, depending on which one you saw, Triple X, of just ridiculous uh, explosions and horseshit. It's, it, it tried. I, I'll give it that. It tried. You get to see some Rebecca Romaine side boob, so if that's your thing. Uh, you also get to see uh, almost naked LL Cool J, so there's something for everybody, you know? Well, the basic rules of Rollerball and... I mean, the game itself has little to do with what the plot of the film is, but the basic idea is a bunch of dudes who are padded up on roller skates, skating in a circle, and they have a metal ball that you try to throw into a a hole that's on the wall, like a, a like a, almost like a magnet pod to score points. And you have motorcycles that take you around and can boost your speed and a lot of other stuff. That's that's the general idea. There's more rules than that, but if it's anything. the general idea. It's 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 a much more hyper realistic hockey, which is something um, Jewison will talk about a lot when it comes to this movie. Is his love as a Canadian of of hockey and um, blood on the ice and people's just uh, response to blood on the ice and how you you can't stop looking away. But the the speed and capacity of how they're moving that's a thirty forty mile an hour sport. So it's a very fast paced, very dangerous, very quick game. And uh, as the movie goes forward there are multiple rule changes to what the what consists of rollerball and in in essence you know it's circus maximum it's the the roman empire sort of um death sport which isn't very far off from you know uh, the nfl even in the 70s even in the the 80s coming into now this just hyper worshipped um entity corporate entity it's a sport. It's most like most sports, especially American sports. I mean, the same thing in Europe to a certain extent with uh, with football, uh, which is like not as full contact as a lot of American sports. But at the same time, what is a sport more than anything for the mass consumption of the populace other than a distraction? And that is the basic idea of what rollerball is. That is it's the future of 2018. And also and, um, it is a mass consciousness of an identity. Uh, you fall in love with these 
teams, you love them almost as if it's a, a patriotic, nationalistic thing, like loving your country and your identity is stripped away. You don't, you're suppressed by whatever corporation that you're in love with, whether it be the Yankees or uh, Walmart. I don't know people are in love but with Walmart. But my city's name or a city close to me is in the name that they have. All right, so what's the difference? If Well, it's just my team. I like that team. it's arbitrary. It's all arbitrary bullshit of something to get excited about and mostly something to gamble on if you're into American sports. But um, the general idea of what this film is about is how corporations and specifically corporations that are controlling the actual country, which doesn't sound like something that was going on in 2018 in real time, does it? Um, That... They don't want any individuality within current culture. They want everything to be for the, it's it's kind of a statement on fascism, but through like a corporate fascism more than anything that there is no individual. There is only the corporation. There is only what's important. And generally what's going on is James Kahn plays a character named Jonathan, who is like the best rollerball player that there ever has been. And at a certain point, once rollerball players get so popular that the corporation asks them to retire because they don't want one individual standing out. Well, no one has made it from the team. No one has quite made it to this status as Jonathan E. No one's played this long. No one has been this undefeated. There hasn't been anyone in years that has been adored. And one of his former coaches has even a sentimental moment with him talking about remembering the World Series and other sports and. Uh, you know, pretty much idolization and you know, even touching upon like Jonathan E is somewhat similar to you could say somebody like Kobe who, you know, w- there's a lot going on with his name and since his death and uh, everything that's gone down with that, it's it's pretty much a historical figure now. And that's, you know, you've got to look in the 70s when sports stars were first starting to get paid millions of dollars and you had this massive um, like iconoclastic love of of these odd, strange characters that why are they making twenty, thirty million dollars for whatever? So it's it's kind of this comparison of false gods, American gods, you know, uh, taking that Neil Gaiman aspect of you know you you bring something over and you give it enough attention, it sort of becomes an idol, and he's become uh, an identity to people, and that's the worst thing that could possibly happen. I mean, this is even a culture that there isn't like massive substance abuse. There's just a little pill you can take that fucks you up. People kind of drink for show, but there's no real like alcoholism. There's no real smoking. It's a very um, plastic, white, surgical, sterile future. It's not like Blade Runner. It's something that is very more similar to now, even if you pay attention to the news, flavored vape pods being banned, everything being kind of cut down to just, you know, here's your plastic minimum of, of what we're allowing you to have, what we're allowing you to see. You know, you like Fox News, they don't really show you the full picture or CNN or MSNBC, whatever the fuck you want to attack. You get these certain specific angles because corporations are stepping in and uh, pretty much saying, you know, this is what you get. You get cardboard flavored food and you're going to like it because we put uh, something really cool on the label. Well, at the same time, I mean... Even down to countries, people are talking about we need borders. Borders are fucking irrelevant at this point because really, I mean, look at Hollywood. Look at the movie industry as it's as it's stood for the last few years. China has become its second biggest market. So we don't want to put anything in a movie that would upset the Chinese people or the government specifically. 
So like we water certain things down. So another corporation, which is what China is, it's a corporation, America's a corporation, and like all these different countries, they're just maybe. giant corporations. Um, but I mean, to put those things out there to really kind of control what's going on is, and this is not a, about SJWs or censorship. That's not what we're talking about at all. We're talking about the commodification of everything in culture that everything is about making the most amount of money that you possibly can in any instance that capitalism reigning is this is naturally what you get with rollerball i mean rollerball throughout the film uh when james conlin jonathan um refuses to retire and he's bucking the system they literally try to kill him they start changing the rules of the game so he can be taken out. And at that and point, can... the movie becomes a, an attack on the exploitation of, of actual violence and, and the personification of violence for entertainment and violence for the sake of violence, which is a very strong statement. Which is what most of the movie is about, is um, how kind of bloodthirsty most people are. I mean, there's the very extended scene in the middle of the film that I got a couple of problems with. I, I get the idea of what they're doing that. There's a dinner party with all the rich and affluent people, and they get this, I don't know, flame shooting gun. It's some sort of like it's some sort of pistol that shoots like a uh, big balls of fire. It's and just, all these, uh, I think, an extension. You know, one of those things they're trying to show and remind you that it, it's, uh, although it kind of, uh, I think, like with the palette of the movie and the costuming of the movie, which is sort of uh, very 70s, it was made to be somewhat relatable, but they threw in these little reminders here and there to go, oh yeah, it's it's futuristic. And the way this was handled, if it had been maybe cut a little bit, because I love this scene and I think it's a it's really important part. It's overly long. Yeah, it's a yeah. very important scene to the film of like these rich people just going out and destroying trees, just burning trees to the ground for their just amusement, which is a meditation on... Uh, you know, basically violence as entertainment but and destruction as entertainment. I mean, it, um, it, you could have done something like killing a dog or killing an animal, but I think using a tree is so much more effective, and it, it's something that you really have to put some thought into because it's an, it's a living thing just as well as an animal is, but it's something that is, is truly part of our environment and part of our ecosystem and helps us live. That it's part of, it's, it's a necessity almost. Trees are a part of of us and just how easily they go out and destroy them without any thought is something that you need to think about with what not just this movie is presenting to you but what society truly is and even with what's going on right now with this viral outbreak and people's just absolute opposition to even listening to the CDC claiming that it's you know liberal commies the CDC is not politically trying to do anything to you but make sure that you're healthy and that you're okay and so this opposition just trying to rebound and, and allow you to have a different thought process with it is just the same as these people get high and drunk and they go out and just burn fucking trees. And just for the defense of Norman Jewison and production, the trees had already been cut down for something and they just transported them to this park and re-kind of planted them. So they were already going to be destroyed anyhow. He wasn't out harming the trees for all of our PETA people. I don't fucking... Well, PETA, that's completely wrong, but whatever. I don't know. I mean, people of ethical treatment of trees, pet, 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 I don't know. Fuck it. Bad but, joke, um, I'm done. The only problem I have with this scene is just, it's really long. <laughs> it just drags the movie out, because the movie itself is like two hours, two hours, and like 12 minutes, somewhere in there. Yeah, like it's two, a very two, two. long film. 
Uh, two for, hours, five minutes. Two hours and five minutes. Sorry. Okay. For generally what the like the plot structure is, I mean, there's only a couple of scenes of them actually playing rollerball. It's a lot of discussion of James Caan being this kind of hero that the corporation slash government doesn't want. They don't want heroes. What they want is subservience. What I think works, though, is even with the minimal, I mean, you have three major scenes of rollerball, but what works behind that is the movie is introduced in, what, an eight to to ten minute scene of of how rollerball is actually played. So your first introduction to all of the the major characters and what's going on for this movie is an actual rollerball match, and I think that kind of... You know, really but it does have tank. an amazing opening with that, though, specifically using the uh, the Bach music, the uh, fan of the opera fucking, um, you know, if, if you're over a certain age, you know what song I'm talking about. And where it's just very, it's a pipe organ and very, like, heavy-handed, and it just kind of ramps you up for oh, the horror me. show you're getting ready to watch. I already uh, figured the beginning of this episode would have that in it, so... The, the well, audience will know the music you heard at the beginning of this episode. Um, and that really preps you for what's going on, this kind of macabre, grisly experience you're getting ready to have. And it's not, I mean, it's a violent film when they're playing rollerball, but it's not so overly, well, the like, violence is handled, exploitive violence. The violence is handled very well, specifically with editing, and that's really what makes a lot of its charm. You hear some graphic things, necks breaking, bones popping. You hear... You know, uh, like squishing, wet, stabbing sounds, but most of it's done through quick and uh, really diligent editing. There are, toward the the end of the movie, as they're furthering attempting to kill Jonathan and his legacy, when they do the rule changes, the blood begins to appear. And that's, I was listening to uh, Norman Jewison talk about this film, and it's just something I thought was really fascinating that, you know, he's Canadian and growing up, he was really into hockey, and he was at a match in the 70s and, and witnessed blood on the ice. And even the, the guards and the police officers in the stadium ran down to the ice and, and were just enchanted and wanted to see more and that nobody really specifically seemed to care that somebody had been injured. And it, it just haunted him a little bit. And it was something that came back when, when you know filming and making Rollerball was just that little bit of blood, that little bit of display was enough to really make a statement. And you know obviously you and I are both fans of exploitation and hardcore cinema and gore or whatever the fuck you want to call it. But at the same time, there is just an absolute it's precision. It's fake. It's but, fake. Yeah. That's the, the big difference. <laughs> but there's such an absolute precision to uh, uh, showing you something in the manner in which Norman Jewison did in Rollerball because you feel the violence and you feel like you've seen something much more devastating than what was actually presented to you, which is, you know, an act of magic. It's, you know, making you look to the left of the screen when something's happening on the right and you hear these sound effects. But it works so magnificently with... Um, this just soft and subtle portrayal of Jonathan E because he's just a normal guy. But when he is in the ring or in the rink, when he is playing, he is fixated on winning and there's just nothing you can do to stop that. He has a completely different moral compass and social idea of, of what a hero is. And he's going to prove them wrong. He's going to prove he can survive no matter what. And as a, uh meditation on violence as sport or just violence in general. I mean, look at what our most popular sports are at this point in history in America anyway. Like one of the biggest things out there is MMA and I'm no hater on MMA. I mean, there's, there's some art to it and there's some, but like people really want to watch. I mean, it was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there's a female fighter who got so fucked up her entire head swelled up. And she looked completely and utterly deformed. And everybody was just 
reveling in her getting the living fuck beat out of her. Yeah, I remember and, seeing that photo and thinking she's gonna die at forty one in her sleep because of fucking cerebral edema. This isn't this isn't funny. This isn't something to to laugh at. This is a ridiculous sports injury. Why why would a match even go on so long that it wouldn't be called after somebody was seriously injured? Well, I mean, but a lot of that is, and people can talk about, you know, the mechanics of it and what needs, like, you know, like how important this move is and countering by this and all these different ideas on what makes it like a sport and what makes it, but at the end of the day, you're there to watch someone beat the ever-loving fuck out of someone else. You are there, and like mostly what you want to see is blood. You People want to see people get busted open. Uh, like that's how the sport somewhat originated well, back in the day. It was just cage fighting. You even have the NHL, not just the NHL. You have hockey in general. That that's most people's complaints. There's not enough fighting anymore. Well, the sport wasn't designed around that. There, there is an artistry to what they do, but they don't fight enough. Nobody does anything. Back in the day, it used to be better. And yeah, there is a sentiment and a love to something like Slapshot. But again, just like the joke I made, most of these players ended up dying in their fucking 40s in their sleep because of massive unresolved concussions and health injuries and wounds. And it was for sheerly... And yes, there is a great deal of athleticism in it, but if you don't think a lot of these people were playing their asses off to make ends meet, then you're absolutely crazy. And you know, a lot of the time somebody becomes super famous and blows their wad and ends up having to play until they're, you know, even more injured. And that's sort of a sentiment that Moon Pie has throughout the movie that he is okay with what's going on. He doesn't necessarily want to change. He likes his pills. He likes being able to kick ass on the rink and get paid and he gets laid and everybody likes him and he feels all right with it. And it's not so much about identity with him. But once Jonathan begins questioning things and, uh, you know, they go to this library and they're trying to find books and he finds out that literally knowledge has become censored, that certain things, does this sound familiar at all? Certain things have, have been taken away and stripped and you can't read this, they're classified. They've been put into supercomputers that have condensed the knowledge. And Moonpie starts realizing, like, well... I don't want to be a follower, but I don't also want to be a leader. I don't know what to do here. And he uh, wrongly almost uh, and blindly follows Jonathan's absolute lead, which ends up really getting him hurt in the long run and, you know, pretty much for all intents and purposes killed. And it's not necessarily that it was a fault toward Jonathan or a fault toward him, but uh, when you're fighting in a system that is... you, if you're the only person that is aware in a social system or, or a government that is disallowing identity, you're going to get crucified. That's just how it's going to happen. And I mean, you not trying to compare it to a left wing or right wing, but I mean, like Kennedy and the National Reserve and his assassination and all these things. And, you know, I'm just trying to make a picture here and not get overtly political, but. <laughs> but you almost can't help it sometimes. It's That's hard, just... yeah. I mean, because when you have the current fight now of PC being described as like fascism, politically correctness is about fascism. Well, it's not so much that. No one's saying you can't say those things, but it just kind of makes you an asshole for saying those things and you're going to get called out for it. There, That's a different level of quote unquote fascism than literally like the corporation that runs the country is trying to kill the lead dude because he's too much of an individual. This is that's not a right wing or a left wing thing. This is not like all about like a one political 
um, concept. This is just about like authoritarianism and the pursuit of power through money and control. I mean, and that's pretty much what Rollerball was about, is about control of a population and going through all the shit we've been going through lately. People say, well, they're trying to control us now. That's a little different. There's a little bit difference of please don't leave your house so a bunch of people don't die versus um, we're going to kill this guy because we're going to kill Kobe in a helicopter crash <laughs> because he got too good at basketball. Maybe, but he was retired, so therefore he was no longer useful to the Lakers. Well, even too, as a comparison, something that's shown in the movie is Jonathan lusts after one of his wives that he's he, you get assigned people pretty much to uh, you know be with or find compassion with and one of his wives that suggested wanted to leave him but it's later shown to you that pretty much a, a senator or a, there's no there's no government like that anymore there's no senators so they're all investors or they're all members of a board of a part of one of the six corporations and which is where we're at right now I'll just throw that out there this is exactly where we're at you can say senator but that senator is paid yeah. for bought and paid for by a corporation so they might as well be corporations and there's six different major corporations, Houston being uh, electric, as we referenced earlier, uh, a senator for all intents and purposes, liked Jonathan's wife, so he bought her, and the company reassigned her. And that was possibly punishment for him having identity, for him being so brazen. And something else just about his character, uh, about identity, to the extent that it's a fault, he, I mean, they're all Texans. They all play for Texas. So he has kind of an identity. There's scenes where he wears blue jeans. He wears boots. He has big uh, brazen he rodeo buckles. He dresses very cowboy-esque yeah. in the film. And everyone else surrounding him is almost wearing a uniform. And, and they're somewhat fashionable. Everybody has a little color on their collar that suggests or allows you to know what company they work for, whatever their affiliate is. But he has an identity even with uh, hats. You know, after a, a match, he throws his cowboy hats out to people and He's, he's just something that you could put hope into. It's not that he wanted to be a hero. It's not that he wanted to be some uh, political warrior. It's just that he realized it was being placed upon him and he had to make a decision. And, you know, when Moon Pai is, is injured uh, in, in the, the Tokyo Deathmatch, pretty much, where they're uh, trying to go after Jonathan, but they make a statement by going after his closest friend and confidant, he realizes at that point that they have thrust this upon him, that there is no choice, that there is no back down. I have to, to make this statement. You made it way too personal. It's not about him. And he realizes that. And he truly is selfless for the betterment of tomorrow. He truly is thinking of the community, not so much uh, his fame. He doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, and um, and kind of in a different direction. One thing I do miss... Um, specifically about 1970s science fiction is a things that get really deep um, into like a dystopian type futures, which was a lot of 70s science fiction until Star Wars came along, but also like the design of the future according to 1970s science fiction. I mean, this movie is very akin in a lot of regards to Logan's run on the design. Everything looks very much like a mall. It's all a lot of glass, a lot of very streamlined, uh, almost like Frank Lloyd Wright um, type design everywhere where everything's very much about geometry and being slick and not having much personality behind it. And that was a thing that was going on in the 70s, specifically in science fiction, dystopian ideas of this is what we're headed towards. And 
Eh, we're kind of. I mean, if you look at most Instagram stars, quote unquote, um, they're uh, the places they live. Look at any of those reality show people, what the, what their houses look like. They don't own anything. Look at Kanye's house. He has a flat sink that has no basin in it. What the fuck is the point in this? But it all looks so, like, look how cool this is. Like, you don't even have any art on your walls. Your house has zero personality to it whatsoever because all it is is one giant status symbol. It's just about showing off. Look how slick off my shit is, even though it like doesn't even represent you as a person, even a little bit. I think a big point is showing the exhaustive nature of the company and the idea of what the company is and what the, the betterment of that is for society. And a big struggle Jonathan has is he realizes his identity and his true self is he needs to find out who makes these decisions, that there has to be somebody that is making these choices for the company because no one will tell him what's going on. You know, and in comparison to what, you know, you were just talking about, you've got this collective pretty much of all these same people that dress the same way and have the same millionaire houses and follow the same millionaire fashion trends. And they, who's in charge? Who's running this? Who's making these decisions? Nobody's going to question this. Nobody's going to wonder why uh, Kanye West, just using him as an example again, sells white T-shirts for $1,500. You know, I I don't know. There's just some uh, resemblance. But isn't that cool, dude? He sold you a white T-shirt for fifteen grand. I mean, he's a smart businessman. He's got a name out there. I mean, he's smart to be making that, all that money. Uh, now, he's a, uh, he's kind of a, a scumbag. If you are able to make that much money just by your personality or whatever alone, and you ha- like give nothing back, and you give nothing back other than your tax dollars to, to anything, is just like, that kind of makes you a piece of shit. I don't... What is this empty pursuit of just financial gain? What what what's the purpose of this other than just another sport? It's just another game. I mean, making money and especially America at this point is literally just a game. I I've got 66 billion. Well, I got 69. Arbitrary, you'll never spend that much money ever ever in your life, but the fact that that guy has a billion more means he's doing better. So you doesn't even matter at that point. No, but it's, it's I got to be one higher. That's the most important thing is always being one higher. That's, I think, the embodiment of the, the John Houseman character, Bartholomew, the, the head executive. And it's suggested, I mean, I don't know if it's heavily clear throughout the movie. It's not that he just owns the Houston team. He's pretty much the executive of the board of the six companies. He runs Rollerball. He runs this idea. And I don't know if we've made this also clear that there aren't any more sports. There aren't any other forms of entertainment. There aren't game shows, blog, vlogs, uh, podcasts, uh, FM, AM radio, nothing. It's all gone. There's Rollerball. That there is, is only rollerball. Uh, it is solely the one form of letting off steam. You take a little white pill and you watch rollerball and you give in to the violence and the true exploitation of other people's pain for your gain because it's nothing to you. And even something I was talking about earlier, you know, why, why is this guy getting paid $20 million a game? You put him there. You, you, you did that. You, you've made him paid and worth $20 million a game. That's how you that happens. You feed into this. You pay to play. You're paying these people's paychecks by watching, buying, tweeting, and, and before that, water cooler talking, even hating somebody. The more you hate somebody, the more you're just giving them attention, too. You're selling and buying into it. And what is easy about things like this is you have the Los Angeles Lakers and the New York Yankees and 
the White Sox, the Houston Astros. You have these names, these identities, and players come and go. Sometimes, and this is you know incredibly what's important with rollerball is these players come and go. And even huge names like Derek Jeter, uh, Cal Ripken. I, I don't know. I, I don't know a lot of sports names. Uh, look at uh, okay. Yager, but these guys. The news, look at Tom Brady. Yeah, his, Tom sh- Brady his star is shining, the- but it's going away. And they only these guys only have a certain amount of time before they go the fuck away. They're not they, they're not there forever. They might become an announcer and you know be on for the next twenty years, but they get cycled through the corporation. The the more famous you are, the more cycled you'll get. You know, you'll the more you become a brand name, a T-shirt, just like Tom Brady's shoes, Michael Jordan's shoes. Um, well, I mean, think about this. Like, like Tom Brady has signed a deal with the uh, was it the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's no longer playing for the New England Patriots, and all those people who are have been major uh, Patriots fans over the years. And Tom Brady, man, he's he's just such an alpha. He's great, and I love Tom Brady. I know, I mean, he cheated, but I mean, there, I mean, not really. He's blah blah blah. Mr. But America. Tom Brady's the man, and now he's going to go play somewhere else. Those same motherfuckers. Man, I fucking hate Tom Brady. I can't believe he'd betray us. Like, what do you mean betray? It's it's a team that he played for. They're going to pay him more money at this other place. He's going to go play somewhere else. Well, fuck him, man. He should have stayed here forever. He's our guy. He's just a guy. I mean, we made him what he is. It's the same thing. I mean, you can even like you can relate all this to something like rollerball where it's like it's the identity and that's the problem it's the identity behind the team not just the person you've put all this love into it because of a corporation i mean what the fuck do you know about tom brady and his personal life and his interests and the finer things and appreciation he has for the world what what do you know about him outside of he catches the ball and runs with it for the team i like he does he's this married thing. to a supermodel and he tweets. He That's does, what you know about him. <laughs> he does a thing for a thing that you like and you support. He does a thing for a corporate entity. And, I, and I'm not trying to talk shit about the fucking guy. I don't care. And it's just like Kobe Bryant. I'm not trying to talk shit about the fucking guy. It's just a reference and something to try and change your mindset to understand fucking rollerball a little bit more. But they're they're just corporate names. At sure, at some point, they had a soul and an identity, and when they were playing young as a child, they had no idea this would happen. But at some point, just like Michael Jordan, he's going to die. But in 150 years, Jordans will still be existing. They'll still be a massive corporation behind these shoes and jerseys and the number 23 and his Jumping Man logo. And at this point in time, yeah, the individual still exists. But, you know, unlike Jonathan E., and I'm not saying Michael Jordan should have, like, you know, when he played baseball, gone crazy and started fighting the fucking system and beating people with a bat or whatever, he chose to, you know, retire to leave the system and to buy in. And that's essentially what they offer Jonathan. They, It's not like they just tell him, you got to fucking retire. They give him a great cushy package. They give him a lot of perks. They give him a lot of incentive. But his, it's, it's the fact that the people allowed him to rise to a certain level of stardom that he realized his individuality, that he realized his own thought process and kind of, you know, raged against the machine. And in his essence, it worked because this is a triumphant story. This is a story about a hero and changing time. But something, too, that we have to, to remember and take into consideration was this was um, Norman Jewison's and William Harrison, the, the, the writer of this. It was a, it was a short story and uh, William Harrison. An Esquire was, magazine. Yeah, I think the Rollerball Murders it was called, and then William Harrison was brought in to do the screenplay. But this was their idea, somewhat prophetic, of the future, of a corporation-owned future. So, I mean, just keeping in check that this is 1975 and, and 
going into 2020, uh, even the 80s, even something as as ridiculous as the Cola Wars, it was just the beginning of sort of uh, the corporation wars, which is something, too, that's referenced throughout the movie, that there's no more World War Three, there's no more Iraq War, civil wars, there was a corporation war that finally broke down and was won by six companies that formed a massive conglomerate. And there are some ridiculous things like early uh, ideas of the internet, telecommunication, like using Skype, uh, possibly how we even do our show, you know, telecommunicating, that was just way beyond its time. And it's really interesting to look at it, uh, not just as a period piece, but as something that truly predicted somewhat accurately, uh, uh, fairly accurately, not precisely, but fairly accurately, the future. Well, I mean, and generally the whole concept of rollerball is, it's very ancient in nature. It's it's a basic Rome That's concept Maximum, of right before man. the fall of Rome, um, of just this obsession with violence and the obs- and basically what a society looks like when it starts to cave in on itself when there's almost nothing left for this society to do or conquer, and they just turn to these kind of moronic fucking devices to just kind of keep them numb and keep them unaware of what's truly out there in the world and what, you know, just different things are, even just things like love. What I do find interesting is during all of this quarantine shit that's going on, in December, there's going to be a shit ton of babies born. And I, someone else had made this reference. There's going to be a lot of babies born, and there's also going to be a lot of divorces. And to me, that's just kind of odd that, oh, I, I'm stuck in the house with these people all the time. Like, I can't be alone. I can't be alone. Why do you hate your spouse? What do you hate about the people you like that you're supposed to love? Why can't you be around them? Why is it so hard to be locked in a house right, well, with your wife or husband or anything else? Let's look at Rollerball, and we can tap in here a little bit with the Rollerball remake. I guess you're right. I was going to talk about it, but there is a, a point to hear what I'm going to say. Most people, and I don't mean this as an open insult to anybody listening, but most people don't really use their time or their lives. And there is this, and I just refuse to believe, this is more or less paraphrasing Bill Hicks, but I refuse to believe that our entire lives are, are, are to, to buy stuff, to work to buy stuff. Because essentially that's all you do. You're paying your rent, you're buying your house, you have to buy toilet paper, you have to buy food, you have to buy fucking water, everything that's essential to you to live. Isn't that somewhat ridiculous in nature that your whole life is just spent buying and feeding corporations what do you actually live what do you do what do you create where, where is your growth of soul your knowledge of your not just inner self but who you are what do you do to help yourself grow most people just go to work all day come home if they don't get drunk they get high if they don't do that they work out all night till they go to sleep you know rinse wash and repeat there's a thousand different things and I'm not saying everyone, you know, that I'm sure there's people that paint that listen to this show and people that work on cars and have a, a various. Oh, there are of things, there are but... subsets to all these things. This isn't all just like everybody's yeah. fucked. It's just like the the concept of society as a whole can be fucked. And and but that's back pretty to much what happens recent... in, in Rollerball, though. I mean, like even in the re, the remake, they make an emphasis that if they're not at the mines, they're at Rollerball games, and then they start rioting when there isn't Rollerball happening constantly. Because they're at the mines, and that's, you know, transitioning back to the original movie from 75. Nothing else is available to watch. There's no other forms of entertainment but rollerball. So people's lives truly are dependent on this because all they do is they go to work. There is no inner construction. There is no inner growth. And, you know, that's where I was tangling in earlier with, 
you know, what do most people do? They just go to work, and if they don't come home and get fucked up, then they work out or occasionally do something, but nobody really seems to work for this, you know, greater collective idea of uh, growing the human race, expanding their knowledge, helping their society, and it's just not, you know, a community-driven world anymore. Well, I mean, well, that's where we're at now, and that's what's going to be kind of interesting over the next few months, possibly a year, of now that there's no capitalism to focus on, when there's a much bigger threat other than, oh, like, there's much more things to do than I need to amount more money to fix this. And we're on the verge of possibly having a universal basic income for a while. And basically a lot of fucking socialism's coming by hook or by crook because there is no other option. Like this is something like this can really hopefully change how people think about these things. When you no longer like people are pissed because I can't leave the house because I want to consume. I want to consume some stuff. Well, you can still consume some shit on Netflix. It's not good enough. I need, I want to go out and buy some stuff. I want to go here. I want to go to, it's like, I mean, really, like, it's, well, too, it's rollerball I mean, all saying, over again. I'm not saying you're completely, I'm not saying you're incorrect, but I also think that there are different aspects to not just necessarily consuming, but a lot of people are being driven by corporations into fear of what happens if you run out. What happens if you run out of your sweet, sweet, sweet Camel cigarettes? What happens if your Camel brand cigarettes run out? What are you going to do if you're out of Anheuser-Busch beer? What, do you, what are you going to do if you're out of Charmin toilet paper? And you, and the, it's not necessarily companies. No, no, I, I've not seen this one, so, I mean, I've not seen a specific company or brand saying you need to go out and do this. I've not seen the government say you got to go buy toilet paper right now. The CDC has not said anything like that. But the idea from the consumer has been lit. You know, oh my God! I, if I can't leave my house, I have to get toilet paper, and then it just becomes a brand war again. Of you know, who's going to be able to ship enough of what to what store? What's selling out more? What's becoming more of a boom? And you know, I'm not saying there's been an increase of certain brand commercials going on right now, but it's something you even have to look at, like using Facebook. What is popping up on your suggested ads? Is it things that you've looked up before? Or is it weird water filters and odd? Uh, masks and different types of latex gloves and just bizarre things that are filtering in through the news and even what's just being searched and looked at. It's just very bizarre of what corporations truly and absolutely do have control of. Well, I mean, that's just what you're born into at this point in society is just you're born into these things and that's what you were taught to do, which is consume, obey, John Carpenter, the whole thing. I mean, these are not new concepts. These things have been explored for years and years and years. <clears throat> no one has really woken up. They think, "Wow, what a great movie!" And they don't really. Well, I mean, people wake tend up to apply and they talk it to their about own life. it, and then we shoot them. So, I mean, paraphrasing Bill Hicks again, but yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's where society is has been heading is the same society as where rollerball was at and it's time for a change hopefully it's time to like refocus our efforts on other things perhaps and not worry so much that there weren't enough titties and birds of prey and the new star wars movie is not what i want it to be maybe we should just stop worrying about that shit and like actually worry about some other things worry about like how like besides money people like depression has been spiking year after year after year like the levels of depression in most societies is on the rise and is 
and anxiety and all those things have just constantly suicides are up, all that sort of shit. Because well, what do you hear when when that's brought up? You know, even something like um, transgender rights. Oh, we didn't have that back in my day. That didn't exist back in shit. my day. We uh, what what is this? All we didn't have autism. We didn't have any of this back in my day. Yes, yes, you did. You you did. It just people couldn't even speak about it because you fucking tarred and feathered them, or you put them in asylums and gave them lobotomies. I mean, there there was a mass difference to how humans have been treated over the years, and unfortunately, they've just taken a much more um, serene approach to treating the human race like cattle. And I mean, they buy massive corporations like. Pfizer, drug manufacturers. I mean, it's ridiculous that there are people that are born with diabetes that have no control over it. They have absolutely no control over it. But if they live in a specific state that they can't get decent health care or some sort of free health care, you die. That's that's the option. No insulin, you die. And, and that's a cold fact, and that's something that is unfortunate in 2020, that there are Americans that just have to kind of, well, I guess I'll die because they can't get treated for something. Well, uh, like uh, this is going to be an interesting comparison that I probably didn't see coming myself earlier, but uh, this movie has a lot in common with robot jocks. It really does. It's essentially kind of the same fucking story because um, in robot jocks, you have Achilles who is a giant robot pilot and, you know, he's the, the toast of the town. Everybody loves him. He's getting ready to retire. Um but besides that point, like after all the bullshit happens in the movie, he goes to see his family. And what does his family have? They have a hot dog and some beans. His his brother is a poor man, and his his um and Achilles is this super rich dude who the, basically corporations have taken over at that point as well. And he's looked at as some sort of star while everyone else is suffering. Because the important thing is that someone is always at least has some sort of idolatry. I mean, and rollerball is the opposite where they don't want one specific person to be idolized as much as they just want being rich, being one of the the ones that is like, is a knower is one of the ones in society that people look up to. I just want to be one of those. I just want to be rich. Well, the problem is they don't even want that. They want you to adore the team. They want you to have this absolute compatriotism, nationalism, undefiant love toward them. Because we're the energy capital, we're the energy team, we're your team, we, we are you. We, you go out there and you're fighting. You're, you're really part of the team, and that's what they're selling you, that, that these are just faceless cogs, and you're part of it, you're Jonathan E., you don't matter. And then when somebody gets their neck broken in the middle of a batch and their light goes down, they just throw in another guy, and there's you, you're back. You're back again. You're just another faceless worker, and you have to continue buying in to what we're selling you because this is what's truly important. Aren't you happy? Aren't you happy with what we've provided you? And that's sort of uh, the frightening thing is that most people don't have a mass amount of fear because they are complacent. I have my Netflix and my Amazon, and I can get Diner Dash or whatever the fuck delivered to my house, Grubhub. I can do all these things, and I don't really have to ever do anything anymore. And... Going into rollerball, what are you shown when you're at the executive's uh, office when he goes in with Jonathan E? He's got this chair, and it's just surrounded by buttons because that's all he has to do for anything in his life is just press a button, and somebody will come or a machine will do it. Something will be done by somebody else for the company because all of them have these little buttons, and that's where we're at right the fuck now. 
with one little touch, you can go to a thousand different worlds with your Roku or Fire Stick or whatever streaming device you're using. You don't have to get up for days. You can use your phone to control it and order food, and all you got to do is go to the door, and you just use your PayPal or whatever money app to pay for it. You don't even have to go to the bank. You don't even have to go to see tellers. You can have your groceries delivered right to your door. You don't have to do anything because it's right at the touch of a button. Now, is this technology booming? Is this is this a great, wonderful change for the world, or is this literally a, a trap? Is this just, you're so worried about going out, but all you do is struggle to stay in and catch up on Netflix and binge watch 30 TV shows and order fucking Panera on Grubhub. That's what people crave, but when they're told they can't do it, there's an opposition until the corporation needs to step in and suggest it's good for you. And that's what's happening. You know, even places like Shudder, not saying that that's a corporation. You should probably use this if you're listening to this. Shudder is doing an option for, what, three months free with the, the password shut in. Check it out on their Facebook, all their social media. But still, it's an advantage and tool that these companies, corporations, can use because Shudder's owned by AMC. AMC's owned by Ted fucking Turner. So there is a corporation behind this. Uh, well, no, I don't think AMC is owned by Ted Turner. I'm sorry. I might have. Warner Brothers. Warner I Brothers. I don't think Ted Turner owns anything anymore. Yeah, I think the TBS is just a name. I'm sorry. That's that's definitely fake news and misinformation on my part. But regardless where my rambling is going is it's a fucking corporation. And when there's a, a will, there's a way. There's always a way to sell. There's always a way to sell you without even realizing it. And it's not like I'm attacking uh, the listener's individualism or their freedom because I fall victim to it. Everyone falls victim to it. It's a part of living in a consumeristic uh, culture. And that's something our hero Jonathan even realizes when they send his wife back to visit him uh, to try and convince him to quit. He sits and deletes his most precious videos and memories of her, which is just look at our culture. I broke up with my girlfriend, delete, gone. Block, delete, nothing's left. No uh, Facebook memories. Just It's all absolutely gone, and that's just where we have, have come as a culture, that you can just delete if you don't like it. Well, even if you delete it, you're not, like, you're not letting yourself experience those emotions because pain is useful. Eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, anyone? Yeah, and it, it's really going to do with them. You, like you have to have learned some lessons from whatever was painful. And if you're not learning lessons, if you're just trying to tune it out, then where are you really at at the end of the day? You're just sitting there watching Rollerball. You're just mindlessly kind of consuming what they're throwing out there for you because it's just easier. And that's kind of where society is today. Is well, not so much right now, but I mean before that, that's we were discussing on the really was. We were discussing on the Richard Stanley show the the different levels of of life and uh, you know the the different levels of mentality and thought process and I think that's somewhere uh, where you were just going with what you were saying is you know, are, are you just sitting at home watching watching rollerball or, or what are you doing are you really buying in and it's not like I'm trying to fearmonger here like are you buying into all this you need to be buying into a lot of things you need to be buying into non disinformation you need to be buying into fucking washing your hands staying at home i know it's the hardest thing to hear especially for service industry people and it's hard for some people but if you don't have a on the fucking scene job you don't need to be going and doing whatever you know if you're working at a fucking dealership please stop sweeping the floors and go home well at a certain point you're just uh to use a turn of phrase from fight club you're polishing uh, silver on the titanic it's like what are you, why are you going down with this ship it's pointless 
Like, be with your family. The company Sit doesn't at fucking home. care about Learn you. Some things. And this isn't just a statement for a viral outbreak going on. Companies do not care about you. Fall and break your hip at work. See what happens. Here's an actual true story with somebody that I worked with years ago. It was an RN at a hospital, and they were the, the head nurse at this hospital. They were at home on vacation, and they fell, and they broke their leg. And because they were on vacation, they got brought into their own hospital, and they were fired by their own hospital because they knew that they couldn't work for the next six to nine months, completely shattered femur. That's how much companies care about you. And, you know, it's just a, a story. And I know that doesn't have any effect because your uncle had a different situation or your, you know, best friend's cousin's mother's brother had a different situation. Everybody has a different story. But in the long run, do you think your social security number matters to the computer that is counting how much money is given to you and how much uh, precisely is going to be taken out for FICA? Do you really think that these things care? Do you think that somebody sitting at an information booth that has to type up your name and see an injury report or that you've quit or gotten fucking shit canned or anything cares that they know you, that they have any attachment to you? No, all people care about is what they get paid every week or two weeks. That's well, what comes into consideration. That's when you just, the problem is when you just focus on the numbers, which is as a society, what we've been doing for years now is just literally running everything off a fucking math equation. It's like, but you have to figure in other things like human growth and human happiness and things like that for any of this to work just because your number didn't go up. I mean, even like, we didn't even like start what about preparing me? for a pandemic because the stock market might have gone down for fuck's sake. That's the thing we're worried about the most is what the stock market's going to do and not like what has what's going to happen to human life. And that's like kind of the most important thing, wouldn't you say? I think there's a, a big problem with people mistaking politics and the corporation for real life. Oh, the Democrats are trying to make this a communist country and they're telling us not to go out so it makes Donald Trump look bad. This is not political. I mean, and even at worst, look, if you can't do this, you have to seek help. No matter what the the right thing to do you think in your mind is, if you think you're sick, you need to seek help uh, immediately and as soon as possible. And it's not trying to fearmonger or make people uh, uh, think this is a political agenda. It's just down to your health. I mean, state to state... You need to look at your numbers. You need to look at, at just common thought. Even if you don't get sick, you can carry it, and you can make somebody else sick. And it doesn't matter if some agenda of, well, fuck the boomers. They're the ones ruining the country. Look at your parents, your grandparents, uh, other people. Just because you're a negative creep and you don't give a shit about your life or the quality of your life doesn't mean other people around you feel the same way. Take some fucking consideration and thought. I mean, it's just honestly what's more important to you what about me? What about my money? Where's my money from the government? What's oh? So now that you're gonna get money from the government, you you don't care. You don't. You, oh, okay. I see how this is gonna work out. So it's always about you and the individuality. But when it comes to the betterment of everyone else's individuality and everybody else's growth and health and safety, oh, it's dog eat dog. That's not how it works. The community is what matters. The betterment of that is, you know, as, as you just said, is what you would think would be. Uh, the most important thing on everybody's mind. The future of us, the future of our children and their children and, and everyone involved, do you think that would be the, the most important thing on people's mind is, is the betterment of our race? And I mean that as every fucking human on this planet. Everyone. Yes. Hey, do you think we got a little political? There's, it's rollerball. 
<laughs> but in times all of trouble, ball. you know, we, we, we really, there was no, I couldn't figure out a way to address this. And I knew, uh, you know, we've been, we've been doing this show for 11 years now, so we had to do something. We had to do something. And I, I just couldn't think of anything better than, yeah, man, this, uh, right now, this world reminds me of Rollerball. Where we're at right now, just a few years off, reminds me of Rollerball because uh, Norman Jewison himself wanted to make the movie timeless, and he wanted to give it a comfortable kind of timeless look. So if you can get past that it was a 70s movie, it, it is sort of blank and surgical, and you can kind of imagine yourself in the environment, but it supposedly takes place in 2018, and it, it truly is not far off from what our 2018 was and what our current society is. And uh, looking at the future, you can't help but truly think that corporations will continue to grow until that's all that's left. And, it, you know, not saying it was as prophetic, but even something like James Cameron's Aliens, uh, the whole idea behind the Wayland yutani Corporation uh, was that it was, a, you know, at this point, owned, like, North America, and that it owned the military, and, you know, just like OCP, uh, all of these ideas kind of fell forward following uh, Rollerball, that, you know, 1975-plus, even uh, Blade Runner, when he begins to land in L.A. at the beginning of the movie, all it is is massive billboards for corporations. So this kind of really kicked off an idea and truly was a, a prophecy of its time, not just for film, but for reality. And, like, just getting back into the film world in general, like, what's kind of disappointing is what Norman Jewison's career turned into. <laughs> because, I mean, it's not like he had a bad career, but, I mean, like, he did this... He did. I, I like Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, he did Fiddler on the Roof. He did the Hurricane. He just didn't really like push himself that much further after, like, really after this movie. I, I would like to see like him have done more stuff like this. Well, it's just wild because of how this was filmed and some of the ingenuity that he as a director put into the concepts. That uh, I guess talking a little bit about how Rollerball was made. Uh, most of it was filmed at Pinewood Studio, the legendary Pinewood Studio in England, and then um, uh, they used the Munich Olympic Stadium because it was the only circular stadium that they could find uh, to build a full-sized rollerball court on, and they hired Olympic photographers. And it's it's just genius because they've got literally photographers on roller skates with like fucking hundred millimeter lenses that are shooting at 30, 40 miles an hour, which I just don't know how you could stay in focus. It's just a, an absolute art. And then they had a central ring with four or five cameras where they were shooting, you know, all the true action out of it. And it's just really mesmerizing. And if you've watched sports recently you'll see, like, uh, especially the NFL, they've got these amazing drones that fly within inches of the players just right down, and the XFL games how I use them even harder, just this right invasive into the playing field. And it's it's like watching the, the football match in Starship Troopers. This is really where sports are becoming the pinnacle of corporations because what do people buy into? I'm even guilty of it this year. I'm a baseball fan. When spring training kicked off, I instantly, I got to get a new O's hat. The The season's starting, so a new hat, new year. I spent 30 bucks on a new hat, and it's just because it's something I've done my entire life. I don't know why I buy into it. I don't know why I have adoration for the team outside of, well, I'm from the state that this is from, so uh, that's what you do. And that's where most people's fascination and love with these things come from. It's a, it's a way of feeling a bit of nationalism. It's a way of feeling a bit of pride for no reason. You know, uh, we won. Well, you didn't. They did. But we won. We, we won the World Series. No, 
those guys on the field won the World Series. No, we won. We won because I, I got the fucking hat. Well, we it's won. something to have like pride over that, like because you have zero pride in yourself or anything you've done. Like, what's the point in pointless fucking pride? And it goes for country pride, like nationalism, all that shit. But I'm an American. You were born in America. You had zero control. Who gives a shit? Oh, well, the more incidental like, thing is how often do you hear that? You hear people bring up, I'm an American, when it comes to their rights or their rights to bear arms or rights to freedom of speech. But most of the time it's, well, I'm Irish. You were born in fucking Hoboken. I think you're from America. I think you're American. Well, my great-grandfather's uncles, cousins, brothers, best friend was Irish, and they fucked once, so I'm Irish. No, that's not how it works. And, you know, well, what uh, black people, they say they're African-Americans. Not if they're not. What if they're Haitian-Americans? You know, there, there's a, a huge difference. What if they're Polynesian and they just have dark... Well, I didn't know that. All these Chinese people look the same. Oh, well, what if they're uh, from Jap- Japan? What if they're Korean? What if they're from Laos? There's a whole realm of difference here. But if you're from America, you're an American. It doesn't matter if your parents are from Ireland. You are an American. You have this nationalistic pride for things that you didn't achieve, things that you didn't do. Don't you think pride should maybe be reserved at some point for actual achievements and things that you do as an individual and and, and achieve yourself? Wouldn't you be rather uh, happy to be proud of yourself instead of, I'm Irish? What does that mean? What what does it mean to be Irish to you? What is that doing in your everyday life? That and and, and I mean I'm just using this as an example because there's you know I'm a Yankees fan. I'm a whatever i'm a dallas cowboys fan i love the new york rangers and you make that your absolute entire identity you know uh, there's just not even picking at people but it's so bizarre even seeing people so upset over kobe bryant i can't believe he's dead but how much of your everyday life did that that have an involvement with you and i understand the fanaticism and that's pretty much the point of rollerball is 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 squashing that fanaticism but when you, I mean, Kobe Bryant was a brand. Michael Jordan was a brand, is a brand. You know, it, it doesn't really matter because your individuality is gone. Your brand will live forever. Your number will live forever, whether it's number eight or what, number 24. And no disrespect to someone like Kobe Bryant. I mean, he was a terrific player of a pointless sport, but he was great at that pointless sport. What I don't understand is the adoration beyond like when he died there were people who were like leaving flowers at the staples center and like crying yeah but what about kurt cobain i mean let's look at everyone it's just just... weird to me yeah the same thing kurt cobain all that it's just like well he spoke to me i'm like i get that but you didn't know the man i mean i like i understand too like the day that george romero died i was very bummed i mean I, i was very sad about the situation but i didn't like get overly like, I didn't try to, like, call his wife on the phone. <laughs> it's not like I really, like, because, I mean, he was everybody's. He was Uncle George. He was everybody's uncle. It's not, like, it's not up for me to hold him any more special than his own family did. Well, it's not saying you're not allowed to cry or not allowed to feel emotion or allowed to feel it's anything. It's fine. I think it's fully acceptable because people touch you and people have uh, a special relationship in your heart, but... The, the fanatical point behind it and, you know, my statement not trying to be uh, hurtful or abrasive toward anyone, but just seeing I just can't believe he's dead. 
but he is. And, and no matter how much he impacted you, you have to be able to, to get on with the whole show here. And there are people that I absolutely just, just my whole life revolved around, people's ideologies, people's thoughts. And some of the problem with that is for years and years and years, I would mourn the idea of the person. I can't believe they're dead. And you frame yourself and you build yourself to, to be them. You, you would just want to incorporate these people into what your image is instead of you having an identity. And, uh, you know, let's say you have a writer that you loved for years and years and years and years. Incorporate that. Uh, use something in that to, to your growth and to your identity. You don't have to be them. And that is where this fanaticism begins to be a problem because people just want to be whatever they see. They don't want to be themselves. They want to be the next Kobe Bryant. They want to be the next George Romero. They want to be the next what-the-fuck-ever. They don't want to be themselves. They don't want to grow and be the next evolution or the next level of their conception or their thought process or their reality. They want to be somebody else's. They want that big Kanye West sink. They want that non-reality. Like, Hank knows this story. I'm pretty sure I've told him before. And, this, I mean, it's a ridiculous story about myself. I was maybe 22 and I, w- I got incredibly bummed out because I made this whole, you know, promise to myself that just like Sam Raimi, I'm going to make a movie by the time I'm 20 and I'm going to just I'm going to be rolling and going with it. And then at like 22, 23, I, I, I wasn't Sam Raimi. I didn't do it. And it was just like, man, I didn't hit that milestone. It's like, well, of course not. You're not Sam fucking Raimi. Like. Maybe it'll never happen for you. Maybe it'll happen for you in your 40s. Like, but just because you didn't hit it by 22 doesn't mean like this is fucking over or whatever. It's just like you've got to stop looking at people as heroes that are like, no, I want to be that. You've but you can't be that. Somebody's already that. You've got to be you. <laughs> I mean, just the same story from a different angle. My whole goal and purpose in life was to write and have a published novel like Truma Capote before I was 23. And it never happened. Going into my early 30s, I got my first acting gig and started working behind the scenes on movies, which is something I'm incredibly passionate about, and that, I feel that level of pride. I think to myself, well, gosh, you know, I never thought that I would even do this. I thought that I was just going to be some stuffy writer, especially in an era where people don't read. How laughable of myself to think something. But How I- big of a Charles Bukowski fan were you back then? Uh, more, I've always been more of a Burroughs fan. Uh, I, Bukowski's okay, but even as a teenager, I kind of just wondered, like, well, when are you going to grow up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of, like, especially in your, like, late teens, early 20s, when you get really fascinated with the uh, the beautiful, destructive individual that was Bukowski. Like, man, he was just so hard, and you just looked this drunk. And, I, I mean, I, I could be, like, and when you hit, like, 30, it's like, oh, Jesus Christ, this guy... I mean, he's important to the literary world, don't get me wrong, but at the same time, it's like, he was kind of fucked up and kind of a loser a lot of the time, most of the time. I mean, I mean just kind a, of a... As a statement, I love the guy, but I mean, it was one of those things, I, I before I dug into his poetry, I was maybe 16 or 17, and I read Post Office, and it was just, I, I thought it was a comedy. I thought the whole point of it was... Look at how much of a dumb douchebag I am. And then you you meet other people and you start uh, acknowledging, even as you, you just said, most guys go through this Bukowski stage in their fucking 20s. And I kind of went, I don't know, there was just something disgusting about it of this. I mean, and I've always had an adoration and a respect for him because of his, I don't know, almost G.G. Allen nature. But I went more toward Kurak and um, Burroughs, that that was 
what really enchanted me. And, you know, Jack Kerouac is an incredibly similar character, but his self-deprecation and his um, hatred, pretty much, of the world wasn't infantile. And it's it's something that is somewhat even questionable with our society of, of the adoration of people like Bukowski because they're somewhat counterculture. And he sometimes is compared to Hunter S. Thompson, is who's somebody I have my entire life had the utmost respect for and absolute adoration and have always wanted to, to be like somebody that I definitely have characterized myself as more than lived myself as. But Thompson actually had a fucking point to what he was doing. He wasn't trying to condone, let's just get fucked up and watch the world born burn. He wrote pretty much two stories about substance abuse. Most of his life was spent politically uh, adverse to the right wing and utmost hate to Richard Nixon and an also equally beautiful hatred to George W. Bush, all the Bushes. He didn't like the entire family. But the man's career is mostly acknowledged and remembered because of this adoration toward, I, I just want to do that. I want to go to Vegas and fucking do that. I, it just sounds great. You know what sounds great is following Richard Nixon around and pissing him off for six months. Why don't you read Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail 1972 instead of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? Acknowledge something other than this cultural-bound hero that you've made into something that he definitely wasn't. And that's the same for Bukowski. He wasn't a god. He was a, a, a kind of a dick. He was a fucking asshole. You know, listen to that Modest Mouse song. It's a good one. Well... <sighs> There seems, I mean, this can kind of roll back into rollerball, but um, there's some, something to do with youth, especially in your 20s. Um, but as you get older, it starts to morph and change because in your early 20s and late teens, most people get very fascinated by self-destruction. And that seems like the most like interesting thing in the world to them until at a certain point you get older and you realize that that's really empty and it's honestly like incredibly well, selfish thoughts. in a way. You, and I feel that a lot of people when they're younger get into self-destruction because you realize that that's all that's left. And as you get older, you can take an idea of, you know, obey, consume, and die, or rinse, rinse, wash, and repeat, or some people choose to venture into the arts, choose to be like Jonathan E. and fight against uh whatever whatever the the machine is that they feel they're fighting and i think that could consist of you know uh, poets filmmakers chefs anyone that gets into any format of art and when you say the word art i think people just think of you know painting and film and 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 very basic things but art from from woodworking to carpentry to masons to pipe fitters uh, there are so many different facilities of what art can consist of you can't box it in there's just it's it's an it's a different reality an open well, world there's a, there's a scene in uh, that John Favreau movie chef which i mean this is kind of insanely You're off topic chef lately. but at the same time like what's Interesting about the scene is he's just talking to his kid and he basically explains that I love doing this, being a cook, being a chef and creating, and I get to touch people and that's important. And that's all art is, is being able to touch people. And if you don't get off on that, if you don't, if you're in it for some other reason, if you're into like making a movie for other reasons than just wanting to communicate with people, then you're kind of doing it for the wrong reasons. That's what the whole point of this shit is. It's the whole point of art is communication with other people and making them feel something, whether that be like disgust or happiness or whatever, just trying to communicate feelings in the human condition. And that is the point of art. 
And when you don't do that, you end up with the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, which communicates nothing. Uh, to an extent, that's even what we, I think, uh, attempt to do here. You know, I see so frequently with other people that are trying to run shows or, or run shows and have podcasts or webcasts or vlogs. They how do, how do I mon- monotonize? How do I make money? How do, how do I get something out of this? What I feel is the reason that we've done this for so fucking long is somebody. It's not just that people listen. If people, if that was the only thing, what would be the point of it? Numbers? What do we get out of these numbers? We have a web store open. We're not making thousands of dollars off of it. You can see how many sales are actually on the web store. The fact that people are listening means somebody's taking something out of it. And I'm not saying this is some highfalutin fucking form of art, but to an extent, we get on here and we share our thoughts, our individuality, we express emotion, we really uh, put ourselves on a line because somebody can sit and listen to this in, in two or three years and use it against us or whatever because of, of dialogue or language or terms that aren't acceptable, uh, which, you know, older episodes from our live era, certainly there was a lot of uh, language that was much more acceptable that definitely isn't now that we can be uh, yelled at for, I guess. But the most important thing is we just, it's not just a love and passion and interest in movies, but it's sharing art. And it's trying to allow you, as a listener, to to maybe see something that you didn't like or that you didn't even think about, and think about it in a different light. And you know, I've I've gotten this as a compliment before. I've seen that movie and I listened to the show, and I just never thought about it that way. That means the world to me because now you're letting me know that my expression had at least some uh, importance to you. So it's it's just trying to literally serve each other. If you find entertainment out of something and you let somebody know you've literally done them a service, uh, you've you've returned it back to your community. It's sharing. It's just uh, divulging information, caring about doing it, having a passion, having an excitement, just wanting to express something. I think that's a very important thing with culture and society, and I, I think we definitely strive to at least have something to say. What have I always told you? For like years now, never trust it's Chinese not, hookers. No, that's not quite it. But um, it's never, uh, never like hookers. you don't you don't work for a reward. The work is the reward. You have never once said that to me. That I tell you that all the time. You got to get me to off be like on water. the actual work. What about the? Uh, okay, I guess so. You mostly tell me to be like water. Well, that's part of it, but that's a different thing. That's a Bruce Lee thing. But you know what I'm saying? It's just like you have to be able to get off on doing the work. It's not about getting off like the reward afterwards, the adulation. It's like, I mean, that's part of it. I mean, that's a bonus. I mean, you're it's fine to appreciate those things and to love those things. But that is honestly a bonus because the reason I do this show is because I get to sit here and talk with my best friend about movies. I get to talk about some like talk about this shit with somebody else. If nobody listened, I would still fucking do it. If we got almost zero listens, I would still get on here once a week to talk to you about bullshit. And we have. There have been times that we didn't do a show for a year and would come back and would get two or three downloads. But you know what? We would come back and talk about Starship Troopers. And just the fact that somewhere in cyberspace in these archives of of, of literally, like, you know, there's a supercomputer in Rollerball named Zero. And they even show you the faults with uh, this growing corporate idea of society that, yeah, Zero lost the entire 13th century. Everything from the 13th century completely lost. It's just like a, a server blip, but whatever. It was a long time ago. Nobody cares. And, and society grows on and rolls. 
somewhere out there, there are death by DVD episodes. It doesn't matter what you take from it, but if you took anything, it's just that there were two fucking people at some point in some time that just really wanted to share something. You don't have to take it as a, a overly important political message or we're trying to point you in a certain direction. We're not trying to convince you to join our political party or our religion or anything bullshit like that. It's just thinking differently. If anything, you listen to this goddamn show, maybe you can take a different concept and have a different appreciation for art. And at its core, the entire world runs on art. As everyone shuts down and goes home, you're relying on art more than now than anything. You are watching TV shows, you are reading books, you are reading magazines, you are reading articles online, you are going out of your way to fill your fucking brain with art. I just want you to appreciate it, you know? I Just look at it differently. Just see things. It's not all just for sheer entertainment. There is a message. There is an importance. There is something beautiful behind RoboCop. There is something beautiful behind Rollerball. There is uh, just a devastating... Especially, I mean, RoboCop is shot very well. Paul Verhoeven's an artist, but Rollerball just has such a devastatingly brutal touch to it. it. It's like a renaissance painting. It's like one of those portraits of Christ just with blood everywhere and like a Bosch painting. Just just fire and, and evil and ugliness and it's just completely uh, enveloping you and it's all over and it's just gorgeous. You can't help but just feel overwhelmed and I think Rollerball, especially how it's shot, it's sound design, it's editing is just absolutely beautiful. But just the direction with Norman Jewish in itself, there is a clear-cut depiction on the future of society, the future of now, where we're at, and it's just, it's beautiful the way it was captured. And not the remake, which is about dick all. It's about fucking nothing. And it is, I hate that movie so bad. I hate it so much. No movie with Here Comes the Boom by P.O.D. in the soundtrack. There's like a five-minute scene with Slipknot playing outside of an arena. It's a very 2000s-oriented, new metal, dumb fuck action movie. The only goddamn rewarding thing was... It's almost as think if of the Energy Corporation remade Norman Jewison's film to represent their interest of what rollerball should be about. Like, they give you this kind of semi-political charged idea of, like, it takes place in Kazakhstan or some third world nation outside of Russia that's operated by these coal mines and that the only thing these people have is rollerball. So what you've done is completely almost normalized how frightening rollerball being the only form of entertainment is. And then the entire movie runs around... Each match has to get more and more violent because the the worldwide ratings aren't going up. That's not the control point here. So they try and make the focal point of the Rollerball remake of they're expounding on the violence and they're making this much more violent and risking our future. It's not about you, goddammit. That's the whole point of Rollerball. It's not about you. It's about the betterment of everyone. Jonathan E. realized if he didn't stand up knowing he was a dumb fuck gladiator, uh, an expendable gladiator that the company was just going to try and kill after he witnessed his friends and his colleagues get decimated for the name of the game and sheer entertainment, Jonathan E. stood up for something more important. Not his individualism, but the individualism of everyone in that society. He stood up for the society, for the people, for the betterment of what 
their tomorrow is going to be. Sometimes you have to defeat something, and it's not about you. You just have to realize there are other people at play. Just like this virus going around. It doesn't matter what you think, but you could make somebody else sick. You could harm and completely destroy somebody else's well-being that values it because you have no fucking thought in your head. Well, and mostly you're just not thinking about things and just losing your goddamn mind. It's like, just chill out, sit down, fucking binge watch some bullshit for a while and just chill. Rollerball. And just, yeah, I mean, like, you, I mean, more than ever, you have time to do so many things. And I know people are worried about financial shit, but I mean, again, possibility of universal basic income for a while, like, there are things going to mitigate some of these stresses. And so you just need to kind of concentrate on yourself and your family and do no harm. That's it. Yeah. There's, there's literally no better way to put it. Do no harm. Wrapping it into rollerball. What does Jonathan do when he's finally at the end of this? He doesn't kill the last guy. He just scores. He proves his point. Do no harm. There you go. Rollerball. 1975, written by William Harrison, directed by Norman Jewison. It should have been on last week's episode of The Greatest Movies of All Time, because it truly is one of the greatest movies of all time, a transcendental piece of politics, and a very thought-provoking idea of, of how you could be as a person. Be like Jonathan E. He's a hero we need today, and you can be that hero. First DVD I ever purchased. Nice. I think mine was Highlander 2. Oh, <laughs> I think I went on that one. Highlander 2 or maybe The Crow? I'm not sure. Hi- I still, think I still win yeah. on both of those. There's there's no opposition to Rollerball. So this was a a weird turn into, I don't know, I, I mean, you can read so many different reviews, you can watch so many making of features, and there's a lot of excitement in the sport and I don't think that's wrong I mean there is a lot of uh, awesome things that happen and the whole idea of rollerball as a sport itself is is really it's okay to enjoy sports just don't take it all so fucking serious yeah I mean I think we came off maybe a little prickish like I I am an active baseball fan I enjoy hockey I like uh, the National Rugby League I watch Australian rugby I buy in there's plenty of, I mean, and we obviously, uh, doing this show, we talk about Vinegar Syndrome and Severin, and we name companies all the time. It, that's not the problem. It, it's not like we're telling you to, to be anti-consumerist. But going back to something like David Cronenberg, just keep your antenna up. You know, research what you're doing. I'm not telling you to not buy a certain brand of milk because they treat the cows poorly, and this is my agenda. What I'm telling you is just fucking put some research into your daily life and your individuality and who you are and what do you stand for what do you believe in believe in it stand up for it it's not wrong and you're not wrong to do so you're absolutely never wrong to believe in what you believe in unless you're a fascist nazi fuck then you're completely wrong and you should can't i can't make certain threats on you know i can't say certain things on the show but uh, you know die in trying times as these i mean we'll we can go back to the you know the most important religious rules that there were. You can go to the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Commandments are a bunch of garbage. The most important commandment, after you just condense all those ten into one, don't be a dick. Just don't be a dick to people. Well, thou shalt not kill is pretty important also. I I stand with that one. Hey, that falls into don't be a dick. 
Yeah, well, don't I mean, be a dick and kill somebody. Unfortunately, people will always find some justification for violence, whether it's entertainment Still or a dick. Yeah, that fucking it. All pedophiles should be killed. Well, I do that believe still makes you a dick. <laughs> Vengeance I, does not justify you being like that. Being vengeful is still kind of dickish at times. I do believe that there should be just desserts and punishment served out to certain people. But I've said this many times before, and I'll say it again. I I just do not agree with man killing man, and that's not even a passion or something I exploit when I watch horror movies. I don't get off watching Giovanni Lombardo Radice's head get a drill shoved through it when I watch City of the Living Dead. It's not one of the reasons I watch the movie. I love gore. I love gore effects. I, I love seeing how people made things, but I'm not into this for getting my fucking jollies off on people getting hurt. And it's something that you've brought up multiple times, even with slasher pictures and modern slashers. There's no fun just watching people being killed. I don't want the entire cast to be a bunch of douchebags they can't relate to that are going to get their throat slits at random times with lame kills and jump scares. I want something that has some substance. I want something that has believability. And that's uh, one of the most beautiful things about rollerball is this uh, just bizarre sport, this very macho attitude. And Jonathan E., your lead character, is incredibly soft-spoken. He's a very dainty, quiet person that is in touch with his emotions. It's not what you would think is some corporate sellout, massive sports star, some some machismo jerk. You know, he's he's a down-to-earth guy. He cares about the betterment of his team. He doesn't want to leave them on their own, and that's one of the reasons with retirement that he doesn't want to step down. He's worried about them. This is a violent sport. He's a selfless individual, and what happens when you are surrounded by a society of people that don't care about you, you have to step up, and that's where we're at right now. You as an individual, you as a person, you're not cared about by any form of company, and for the most part, you're just not cared about. You have to stand up. You have to find those reasons and, and do it for yourself. You have to be Jonathan E., man. Put on that number and get out there and kick some ass and prove to yourself, if more than anything, that you are not, you know, bought, that you are not a slave, that you are not a, an idea, a number. You're not a slave to nationalism. You're not a slave to identifying yourself as anything. You're not a slave to anything. You just are... A human being? <laughs> an individual against the system. Uh, an individual against a system and, and a society where people don't believe in individuality. You have to rise up. And your star may never get noticed, but you still have to accomplish something for yourself and appreciate yourself. Don't buy into just uh, surviving to die. You are capable of anything. I mean, truly, really. Everyone's capable of anything. You just have to apply yourself. Every man and woman a star, you know? So Boom. I guess we uh, <laughs> we beat the title match against New York, I'd say. I, I, I say so. So this was Rollerball. Welcome to 2020. We're all stuck at home. We're all very tired. And no one trusts each other anymore at all. Cheap bitch. Yeah, maybe we'll do the thing next week. Get a bottle of J&B, sit back, just wait for it. But until then, the ashtray's full and the bottle is empty. Be nice to each other and wash your fucking hands.
by DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning. And now our national anthem.